0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi friends and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, welcome back. Today we are in for an absolute treat. We're going to be talking about navigating through life changes, relationships, toxic cycles, and everything in between. To be honest, I don't even know what we're going to talk about, because we're going to get into it. Please welcome Brittany Noel to the show. Thank you so much for coming. Tell us a little bit about yourself. To be honest, I read your bio and I was like, no, I can't tell this story. You go ahead. (laughs) I would love for you to share a little bit about you and what you do, which speaks volumes into how excited I am to have you here today.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I am by trade a licensed clinician. So I do mental health. I have been licensed since 2014. And I started my career off doing uh, working in trauma. So I started doing end of life grief at MD Anderson. And then I transitioned from there going into PTSD and combat treatment. So I was working with veterans who had served in Iraq and Afghanistan, coming home helping them readapt back into a normal society. And so I did PTSD treatment for a while while also working on inpatient units with women, uh, teaching them different things about themselves, about their emotions, how to communicate, how to make better life decisions. And so my entire career has always been centered around crisis and trauma and helping people navigate those situations. And then around 2017, I started my own coaching practice where I was working with people that I got energized with working around. And those were people who weren't in crisis, <laughs> but they were having a hard time just navigating where they wanted their lives to go and really putting themselves in the driver's seat of their lives. And I was able to resonate with where they were coming from because I was definitely someone who I always said I played life, By the rules, I was the person who was like, okay, they they say go to school, get a good job, graduate. Like I just check the boxes and then you check the boxes and you look up one day and you're like, I don't like this life. Now what? (laughs) So what do you do when you've done everything you were supposed to do and you're still not happy? And so I found myself in that place and it took me navigating. And learning how to find my voice, how to make my own decisions, even if it made someone else mad, how do I communicate what I really want, instead of trying to please other people and take care of everyone else. So that was a complete mindset shift for me. And so literally now in my coaching practice, I just teach those same concepts to other people.
0: Oh, my, like that whole right. I could go in on a podcast right there about people pleasing and then learning how to show it for yourself, or just the fact of like completely shaking up your entire life and restarting. But hearing that you worked in both end of life crisis and reintegration into society crisis. These are two very different ends of the spectrum, but then also there's the subtleties of our own life experience. A lot of times people, when they bring up things like trauma, one person's trauma might feel like new. it's like a headline worthy type of trauma. And then for other people, our trauma doesn't feel valid because it doesn't feel big enough. It doesn't feel newsworthy enough. I remember myself personally, when I got diagnosed with PTSD, my therapist, and I was like, no, but it wasn't that, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. And she was like, no, (laughs) that's what you're experiencing. What are some of the, just before we get into some of the other conversations, I would love for you to kind of chat on in terms of recognizing living with trauma. Is there any sort of types of signals? I feel like a lot of people aren't sure if they have it, they're trying, they're struggling to understand it, or it's obviously we can't like diagnose everyone, but give validity to their own experiences, even if it doesn't feel headline worthy. What are some of those things that might kind of pop up?
1: Absolutely. So, and, and this is where we call them, and that's way too clinical, but we have big T and small T traumas, right? So big T can be going off the combat, right? Where my life is being physically put in danger and, you know, when you experience any type of trauma, it changes the way you process information, right? And then you can have little t trauma. If I'm you know, out walking on a trail and someone took my phone and ran, ran off with my phone, right? To someone else, they may say, okay, well, I just got you know, robbed, right? No big deal, I can replace my phone. But that person violated my person, right? They violated my space. And now every time I go into a park, the first thought I'm gonna have, who's out to get me, right? So you can always tell when you've been affected by trauma because there's always going to be a fear of the unknown and it creates this anxiety and panic around what if I am hurt again, what if I'm taken advantage of, what if this happens. And so that changes how you just function in life period because now instead of enjoying life you're on guard. And so it stops you from showing up as your full self, as your happy self, because you're constantly trying to problem solve. Okay, I need to make sure that if this happens again, I'm going to be okay. And so this is where you'll see people who start to minimize their lives. So I don't go into any environments that are triggering. I don't go to any big gatherings. I don't go to certain locations. I don't like being around certain people because they're trying to cope with the emotions that come with trauma. And so I'm just going to remove myself from everything. And now you've created this very small life that is uncomfortable and very depressing, right? And then you'll also see the physical reaction, and that's normally the one that's easiest to catch because it's involuntary. So the physical reactions to trauma is when you're triggered, and um, you know your heart rate goes up, right? You start sweating. You, you. Uh, for me, I always say if I break out in hives, right? If I have any type of emotional reaction that I cannot control, typically the physical responses let you know, okay, you're becoming elevated. Why? What is it about this situation that is triggering that, that involuntary response for you? So you always want to look for where am I um, minimizing my life because I'm afraid of what could happen? Where do I see my body physically reacting? And, and with trauma, you can also see it in your nightmares, in your dreams, right? Those are all involuntary reactions that your body is is adapting to, to cope to what happened.
0: So let me ask you a bit of a follow-up and this is kind of an interesting topic because it comes up a lot. How do you feel about trigger warnings? Do you think that they're effective? And I find them interesting because if even seeing trigger warning up, I immediately feel like, uh Oh, I'm supposed to feel something. And then I've had this debate of are they helpful or are they harmful as somebody who's kind of worked in that do, do you have an opinion on that? Yes.
1: It depends on the person and it depends on the trigger, right? Everyone is a diff- is in a different stage of their growth. Mm-hmm. So it's unrealistic in healing from PTSD in any type of trauma. Healing does not mean that you will never be triggered again. That is not what healing from, from trauma means. Healing from trauma says that when I am triggered, my response is a healthy response instead of a self-sabotage response. Mm. So the goal is never to avoid triggers because you cannot avoid them. It's life. Things are going to happen, right? So if you're trying to avoid a trigger, you're going to make your life very small. So in order to live a big life, it means I have to learn how to respond in an empowered way when I'm triggered, right? Now, with that said, depending on where you are in your growth, you may or may not be ready for a trigger you may or may not be ready and it it depends on what what the trigger is it depends on what the trauma was but you have to know that one I cannot avoid my triggers so if I see a a trigger warning you need to have a conversation with yourself to say okay if anything comes out of my box tonight can I deal with that (laughs) can I deal with the the consequences of that today and if the the answer that day is yes and you have skills to deal with your triggers then you're you should be fine and if not then that's a, a post we just want to keep scrolling by.
0: Yeah, I guess I just feel so confused sometimes because everyone's triggers are so different. And living on social media, it has become sort of this like demand, but at the same time, you're like, is there literally trigger warnings on my body, on my life, on my child, on my... I. I have even people will ask for, I was talking about being nauseous when I was pregnant. People like, can you have a trigger warning for that? I can't, I have some weird reflux thing about um, vomiting. And I was like, oh, oh, do I just need like to walk around with trigger warnings? I kind of, you know, you talk about this smaller life thing and I'm so honoring to maybe a lot of people who are going through things, understanding how PTSD works. But I'm like, are trigger warnings even becoming, are they even effective? Are they even helpful?
1: And even to what you just described, and this is where it's my pet peeve as a therapist, okay? Because everyone walks around when they learn a mental health term, people take it and run with it. Yeah. uh, uh, Just because something makes
0: you uncomfortable does not make it a trigger. Ooh, that's okay. That is very, very well said. Just
1: but- because life makes you uncomfortable, just mm. because it was a bad experience, just because you didn't like what happened does not make it a trigger. A trigger is directly linked to a specific event that took place in your life that right. was trauma.
0: That's uh, the link, right? That so That makes you, a lot more sense.
1: Right, so if, if I have acid reflux and and I'm like that, I don't like when people talk about blood and gory things, but I have no life event that connects that conversation to that. So I may just not like the conversation, but it doesn't mean that you're triggering me, right? And so this is where people will kind of hold you hostage to their own issues and things that they don't, this, they don't like by saying, hey, that's a trigger for me and that's tough for me, right? And so this is where, and the other word is narcissist. Mm, I have worked yeah. with a lot of narcissists in my field. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's brought up as like anybody who ever has an ex, they must be a narcissist. Anybody
1: who ever did you wrong is a narcissist. And I'm like, yeah. that's not, that's not what that means. Right. Yeah. And so we have to be very mindful about how we're using the terms as we are learning the new terms, because I want people to be educated. For but sure. We have to use them appropriately so that we're not manipulating the people in our lives.
0: All right, y'all, I have to share with you one of my new favorites that I have in my beauty bag. It's Thrive Cosmetics. But when I say cosmetics, it's not like Cosmetics COS, it's Cosmetics C-A-U-S-E because they are on a bigger than beauty mission. For every product purchase, their commitment to support nonprofit partners with a donation of funds or products is truly unique and inspiring. This is a brand that goes beyond skin deep. But when it comes to actually being a cosmetic company as well, and their products are formulated without parabens, sulfates, or thylates. And like I said, they never test on animals. They're a Leaping Bunny and PETA certified as 100% vegan and cruelty free. Thrive Cosmetics donates to help women thrive, emerging from homelessness, surviving domestic abuse, fighting cancer, and more. They also have a variety of different holiday sets coming out for this holiday season to treat yourself or someone you love. My personal favorite product from Thrive Cosmetics is their Brilliant Eye Brightener. It's this creamy cream to powder highlighter eyeshadow stick. It really like brightens. It opens your eyes. It's giving you an instant eye lift. I am Obsessed with using it on my lower lash and above, like as an eyeshadow on top and bottom lid, but just subtly, and it just makes such an impact. It truly is my new secret weapon into letting everybody know that I got a good night's sleep. It's completely easy to use. It's foolproof when it comes to applying as a highlighter as well, which I love to do under my brows, especially, and a little bit down my nose. And that brilliant eye brightener, well, it's available in 13 universally flattering, shimmering shades. I adore Thrive Cosmetics, not just their amazing products, but that they're doing more. Their Bigger Than Beauty mission is so inspiring. You're going to love them as much as I do. I know it. And you can visit thrivecosmetics.com slash papaya for 15% off your first order. This is an exclusive offer that you can only get here. That's thrivecosmetics.com slash papaya. Thrive, dot com slash papaya for 15% off your first order. Thrivecosmetics.com slash papaya. Go and get your beauty on and do it in a bigger than beauty way. Check out Thrive Cosmetics. Let's go back to today's show. And action. Hey everyone, I'm Sarah Gretzky. And I'm Natalie Buck. And together, we are the net chicks. We're here to talk anything and everything on screen, including what your favorite celebs are up to. And if you want to know what shows we are absolutely loving and hating, well, thank God, because we will be
1: unpacking for you every single Thursday. So grab your Netflix and some popcorn because the chicks are coming. And scene.
0: Okay. Now you just talked a lot, getting us out of the box of living a small life based on experiences, based on things that have happened in the past. And this is where relationships comes in for me because I got divorced and then I got remarried and everyone was like, how did you possibly get married? How did you get married again? I've been married before. I will never do it again. And then on the flip side, there's like, how do you deal? My husband's also divorced. We're both remarried. And there's also the, how do you deal with their past? How do you deal with their baggage? How do you not bring that into your relationship? How do you not this, that, the other? And I would love to dive in with you talking about navigating end of relationship, moving forward, not bringing that baggage and also not confining ourselves to living that small life that you kind of talked about based on past experience, which is so hard when it has to do with a person or a love interest, a romantic story, and like that potential trauma that may have come out of that relationship or what it felt like to have that end in the pain and how much we will avoid really great things because of something bad that potentially happened. So let's talk about relationships and how we can kind of move out of that mentality of, because this happened before, this will happen again, or I'm going to stay exactly where I am. Cause even though this is crap, it's predictable crap. And I know what's coming for me. So I would rather stay in this life because I know what's happening instead of going into the great unknown and the scary stuff that might just be all of this crap again. Absolutely. That's that's a big loaded like statement. And I'm like, you're fine. I'm following <laughs> with you. I'm
1: good. I would say it boils down to three things. When we talk about ending one relationship, going into another one and ensuring that the new one is a healthier version of the relationship that you want. And it's not just recreating what you've already been with and also not getting stuck in the pain of it failed. It didn't work out. Let me just not try again, right? So it boils down to three things for me. The first I would say is prioritizing responsibility. And when I say prioritizing responsibility is that when a breakdown happens, it's never 100% someone else's fault. Mm,
0: Yeah, never just
1: they cheated. It's never just they were a liar. They didn't value me. Yes, they may have done a lot of things wrong, right? But you also have to stop long enough, stop pointing fingers at them long enough to say, okay, now what was it about you? That made this okay for five years. What was it about you that made this, this behavior that you didn't even see this behavior until two years in. Right. Because believe it or not, people are not just running around, putting bags over your eyes, blinding you to seeing certain things. Many people are being very real and transparent about who they are. It's just, we make them, we make their red flags look
0: pink. Oh, oh yeah, we do. We romanticize the hell out of it. Look how jealous he is. Oh my gosh. He loves me so much. And like, he wants to run my whole life for me. He wants to do everything for me. He pays for everything. He does all our budgeting. He takes care of literally my whole life. Two years in, you're like, he's controlling me. He's jealous. He's this. We romanticize versions of it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second.
1: So you first have to take responsibility of what is it that I didn't, that I purposely did not see about this person that
0: would have prevented
1: this from happening in the first place, right? What is it, why didn't I make a new decision when I first saw the new behavior, the the behavior I didn't like? Why didn't I set boundaries? Why was I overcompensating? So when you start asking yourself these hard questions, okay, they are very difficult questions to answer, you will start getting to the truth of how I got in this unhealthy relationship in the first place, and for some people, why it went on for so long, right? And then when you prioritize responsibility, you also have to make sure that as I am moving into any other new connections, that I'm taking responsibility for me, my emotions, my thoughts, and my baggage. All of that belongs to me. Yeah. Because what's unfair is for you to t- give those things to the next person and say, hey, this is me with all my stuff. Like, yeah. Right. And so that's the un- unhealthy cycle that we don't want to do. And also the same way I'm taking responsibility for my stuff we hold others responsible for their stuff.
0: Yeah. I, I, and I think that's so important. My husband's great at this. He's way better at like transitions than I am. And he's very much like, even though he's been cheated on, he's like, I don't want to carry that experience into you. Cause you're a different person. You're a different experience. I don't want to. And then here I am like, don't do this with me. I don't like that. I had that happen before. Like it's hard. It's hard to have those like honest conversations. It's hard to recognize yourself in these relationships ending, right? Like mine was an 11 year marriage. That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot of years and a lot of learning. And a lot of it is like, yeah, not that it's my quote unquote fault, but there is a lot that you can recognize that I did romanticize certain parts of the relationship and became, but part of me made also because of that decision-making and the fact that I wasn't so great at identifying it made me scared to make decisions again. Even though I got remarried, there was a lot of hesitation in between. There was a lot of moments of self-doubt of I've gotten this quote unquote wrong before. How do I know I'm going to get it right again? Are there ways that we can kind of recognize toxic behavior when it's happening as opposed to what we do, romanticize it. Because I like I truly romanticize everything and I'm learning that I'm not alone in that.
1: Absolutely. So one of the, the terms that I use frequently, especially on, on my, my Instagram community, is self-betrayal. And so when you talk about learning to how do I trust I won't make these decisions again. The number one thing I work with um, a lot of my clients with is learning to have a real relationship with yourself. That many times the reason why we went into these situations and we sacrificed ourselves and we gave more than what we could and we were, we showed up for them more than we showed up for ourselves is because we were in a pattern of self-betrayal. And so I was willing to betray the things that I needed, the things that made me comfortable, the things that made me feel safe in exchange for this thing, this need that was being met by this person, right? Right. And so when you don't have a relationship with you, it's easy to go into self-betrayal because I don't have a conscience about making this bad decision. Right. But when I am in real relationship with me, the slightest decision that, that puts me at the end of my to-do list, it feels like gut-wrenching. It hurts right. me to hurt myself in that way. Right? Yeah. The same way it would hurt you if you betrayed your husband or if you betrayed your daughter. You would feel horrible about it. Right. And so many people don't have that same response with themselves to where if they did something that went against who they were, that it would literally hurt them because they never fostered a real connection with themselves, a real relationship with themselves before they went into this connection. And so now we're relying on our partners to be that source of validation, that source of um, appreciation, that source of love and respect when really it should first come from you. So learning to trust yourself. I just talked about this in my live last night. You will learn to trust yourself and trust your decision makings when you trust you to love you. Mm.
0: It's the one relationship we have till the end of time. Everybody else is not a guarantee. I have to remember this. And, and I have to remember that we, we truly celebrate external love with other people and then we wander through wondering why we're ending up in situations toxic friendships bad family dynamics we ha- we make poor romantic dis- like decisions for ourselves and or we go through the devastation of i don't ha- will i ever find somebody that can love me for me And that person is always you like I, I, it is kind of ground floor to the rest of your life. So many of us, I think get lost in motherhood or relationships and showing up for other people, especially if you're a people pleaser. So the idea of it being like a self-betrayal and the way that we can kind of see it as that, but what happens if we're already in a relationship? What if we're already in a relationship? We're already like a mom, a wife, and we're realizing we are actively in self-betrayal. Is there ways that we can start finding ourselves, getting to know ourselves without kind of creating catastrophe in the interim of that self-discovery? Because it might create some discomfort for those around you. It's going
1: to create a lot of dysfunction. (laughs) Yeah. It's going to to disrupt your current relationships, but the disruption is necessary, right? It's going to happen no matter what. Exactly. It's either going to happen so that we can build off of a stronger foundation, or it's going to happen because we're going our separate ways, right? So if you think about if I'm already in a relationship, if I'm already married, if I'm already in these role, I call them roles, because with myself, that is a relationship. With other people, I am in a role, right, of whatever it is that they need from me. So when you go in and say, okay, I'm going to realign some things For myself, so that one, I'm better for you, right? But that also means that you don't get to come first. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Whoa.
1: That's going to be tough. And there there are a lot of relationships that you will see that will end simply because they can no longer come first. Because, like it or not, what people miss sometimes is that there are a lot of people that benefit from you not knowing who you
0: are. Oh my gosh. That is so mind-blowing and also applies to so many different parts of our lives, whether it's working relationships. I think romantic ones, the reason I go into it a lot is like, I think that's the one that we create the most self-doubt around or the most like lack of confidence or worth in. And you had this thing on Instagram where you talked about needs versus want relationship. I Loved what you said. I'm not going to try and requote it to you, but I would love for you to kind of talk and regurgitate what that was that you said about that need versus want relationship as we kind of are discussing what it means to understand who you are, find your worth, find your why, putting yourself actually first and the little steps that takes, and then making sure that the decisions that we're making are the right ones. Let's talk about needs versus wants.
1: Absolutely. The, the, the best scenario is for you to do your own personal growth before going into a relationship.
0: Yeah. The reason case.
1: why? Yeah. The reason why is because you get to, want to be 100% selfish with you, right? Yeah. I don't yeah, have to yeah. worry about, hey, I want to go have some me time. You don't even have to have yeah. those conversations, right? So you get to be selfish with learning how to love you and you get to do it on your own time and your own without extra pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the best way. The reason why I harp on women learning who they are before going into a serious connection is because many times when you don't know who you are, you don't know why you're picking your partner. And so when you learn who you are, you figure out what are the things that I want from a partner that make me feel good, right, that make me happy, that make me feel joyful. The things that I love you know, bragging about, those are typically the things on Instagram, people posting about. But the harder thing to identify is, what do I need from a partner? Because a need is something that sticks with me throughout time. It is something that is stable, that a need for validation is not going anywhere. A need for reassurance is not going anywhere. A need for intellectual conversations, a need to be seen and validated in a regular way. Those are needs that are fixed. I call them fixed needs. They're not going anywhere. They're not changing. I don't care how old you get. That will always be something that you need to feel safe, secure, and loved in a relationship. But if you don't know what your needs are, then we get stuck on the flashy things, like the things we want. And so we pick the partner that we, that has everything we want. And then over time, we try to change them to be what we
0: need. Yep. (laughs) Sounds right. And then we start nagging
1: them and why can't you be more like this? And why don't you, and you just never, well, he was never any of those things.
0: Right.
1: But you picked according to what felt good in the moment because you were focused on your wants. And many times you didn't even know what it was you needed to be sustained as a woman. And if you would
0: know that, if you got to know yourself, essentially. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. So this is why I can date and I can look at the guy who has everything I want and be like, oh, but that's only going to last about two years. And then I'm going to want something else. (laughs) Yeah. Now I can appreciate partners for, Hey, he's a good time. He's a good Friday night, but this is not going to be my forever because what I really need is someone who sees me. What I really need is someone who's willing to get into the depths of emotions with me. And that guy doesn't go deep enough.
0: Just this morning, I dropped off my daughter at school and I saw the stress in her face as she was worried over a math test. As they get older and as they're struggling to reintegrate themselves into a classic learning style after a pandemic, it can be hard for them to grasp everything that's going on in the now. Studies have shown that kids have gotten behind in math because of the pandemic. We personally want to stay on top of it to make sure that doesn't happen with our kid. And Mathnasium, well, they work with kids grades 2 through 12. They are the authority on math education, and it's all they teach, and they're experts at it. Kids can learn in-center or online, whichever way works for them and for you. Either way, it's the same face-to-face learning with instructors who really care. Chances are there's a Mathnasium near you. There are over a thousand of them across the country. There's one in my town. I already scouted it out. We're good to go. Mathnasium is a great place for a kid to learn math. They also teach in a way that makes sense to kids and make it fun. I know that sounds like a complete oxymoron, but trust me, you can get there. Every child is Every child is assessed individually. Mathnasium uses customized learning plans to give them exactly what they need along the way. And if your child is a little behind in math, Mathnasium will bridge the gap. If you need them to move at a faster pace and be challenged, Mathnasium will step on the gas and raise that level of work. What they teach goes above and beyond math. They learn to think critically, problem solve, gain confidence in their abilities as well. Mathnasium also (laughs) never assigns homework. Not only that, they can help you with your kid and their homework from school, which is amazing, especially for those who have a busy lifestyle, a lot of things going on, or you're struggling with math yourself. And how are you supposed to be teaching that at home? Mathnasium can help you. Whether you're looking to get your kids back on track or want to ensure that they're staying ahead with their math studies, you can find a center near you at mathnasium.com and contact them for a free in-center or online consultation. That's mathnasium.com to find a center near you. How do we find out if somebody is that person? How do you, how do you navigate dating and building relationships with people when you kind of are started on the wants, right? Like that's is what kind of draws your attention, attraction, all of that stuff. How do you get to the goods of figuring out if they can even meet the needs list before we write them off because they're a wants list?
1: When you know what you need, you have to hold yourself accountable. And this is where boundaries with yourself comes in. You have to hold yourself accountable for navigating your dating life in accordance to that need, right? That if, if my desire is to, you know, be debt-free at the end of the year, then the whole year, I don't go around blowing money because I've already identified what the vision is for the end of the year. Yeah. 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 Right? That's so true. Mm-hmm. So as you're dating, if I've already identified what the need is, then I'm walking into these new connections, these new friendships that I'm having and I'm displaying what that need is, right? So we can entertain surface level conversation all day, but this requires me to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, the, that's the second thing that people miss is that it means that I have to be vulnerable and say, hey, let's have a deeper conversation about this. Hey, what do you think about this over here? Hey, let's go experience this. So it means that your dating goes to a whole nother level of intentionality. Meaning we're not just doing the status quo type things because those are cute, they're fun, right? But if I know that I'm looking for something that is substantial and long-term, the way that I navigate dating is gonna change. And it becomes a lot more intentional about identifying what I need and giving this person the opportunity to meet that need. And then how that person shows up for you is where you determine, oh, I like that or "Mm, that's not gonna work.
0: Yeah. And my husband and I now, we exist on a bit of a, people have disagreed with me greatly on this, but have this a bit of a divorce as an option. It's always on the table. And and that doesn't mean that we kind of walk around going, we believe that this marriage is going to fail or that we think that marriage isn't important or like a sacred vow But the reality is, is it's taught us that we can still create boundaries within the marriage, that we are, this is not a guarantee. It actually causes us to lean into the discomfort and the communication and making sure that we're both like good and have needs met as we're going through it. Because we both know what it was like to go through relationships that were like, no, divorce isn't an option. We'll do whatever it takes. And the amount of, you say, uh, self betrayal that that really truly took and ultimately didn't work out. Like you said, like self betrayal can only last for so long. Somebody is, something is going to happen. Something catastrophic will happen. It's either going to be you or the relationship. And we really truly seem to live in this world and this narrative that relationships are more important than a person. Have you noticed this a lot that people kind of navigate through things and it's not even just like the status quo, but even when you tell people after you know something catastrophic happens, a marriage is ending, a relationship is ending, and you start to tell the world and they don't recognize what you've been through. They have no idea what has happened in the entire years that you've been together. They just see the end caps of the whole thing. They're not reading all the books in between, but you move through this exit from the relationship and everyone just all of a sudden is like, but don't you think you could fix it? Don't you think you could go back and do this? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? We're so focused on that part that rarely did people just come up to me and say, are you okay? Like how are you must've been going through a lot in those years? How are you doing today? How are you moving through the next steps? It was so much like, how do we come and join in this catastrophe that's going on and fix the relationship instead of focus on two individuals that now need healing. We're not looking at reconciliation. Sometimes that reconciliation is in separate ways. So I do operate with divorce being on the table. It makes me comfortable. It makes me feel safe. It makes me feel like I can, I do have choice here. And I love that my choice is to show up in my marriage, but there's a lot of discomfort in that for people. How do we kind of, I think, I have so many women in my DMs and I want to do justice for them in this conversation, but they have so much of this. I'm okay to fall on the sword because I don't want this to happen for my kids. I don't know how to get out of this situation. I'm never going to find anybody else. So it's okay that I'm just in this. And it's really, it is kind of that small living. It's, it's in the sense of, And I'm not saying sacrifice isn't a whole part of relationship, but for some, that sacrifice is too big. There, there are it's too big and it's a lot. And I don't want to disclose things that people have said to me, but I mean it's it's really dangerous, if I'm gonna be honest, when we get into that level of using your words again, self-betrayal. How when we're talking to women who are in those situations, are there some kind of tips you have to kind of get them understanding? That not just the self-sabotage, but the actual fact that they're just in so much self-doubt and so much lack of worth that it is causing a catastrophe and it is going to happen in one way or another. Like, what could we say to those who are really in those situations? One of the the techniques I use as a therapist is I just highlight the contradiction. And so
1: one thing uh, I always say, I I do my research when I watch Divorce Court uh, with Judge Lynn Toler. And I just love to hear the people's stories because they will say things like, you know, first of all, they spend the whole show talking bad about how horrible this person is to them. And then she says, okay, well, tell me why you love them. And they say, well, he's my best friend. As a therapist, I now challenge the definition of best friend because now you have to ask yourself, would a best friend treat you this way? Right. Does a best friend disregard your needs in this way? Because what happens is, The story we tell ourselves about what this thing is, is very different from the reality. So when you start challenging the definitions that people are using, say, well, he always shows up for me. Does he? Because when he cheats and he lies and he's not consistent, he's putting himself first. So is that showing up for you always? Mm. (laughs) Right? So you start to challenge and you find the contradictions. And literally, you have to put the contradictions in their face so that they see it Clearly, and it's harder to explain away to, to break this habit. I always say for me to break my own self-betrayal. I had to start calling things as they were. I don't care how ugly it was, how hard it was for me to say, but instead of saying, oh, okay, well, it was just a small breakdown, it'll it'll get back. It's you no, know, no one meant any any harm. Well, the truth is they did cause harm. The truth is, is that it did hurt and that you don't like it. So now what? Right? And so it's having those moments of brutal, honest truth. The, what I know as a therapist is that many of the patterns that we are recreating as adults started in our childhood. So much of the doubt that you're seeing in these women who are grown, that doubt was planted in childhood before age 12, right? And so the work that you have to do on yourself is to circle all the way back and say, where did this start? who was the first person that made me believe that my needs were insignificant? Where did I learn that it wasn't okay for me to have a voice? Where did I learn that I had to put other people's needs before my own? Where did I, where did I learn that love wasn't a necessary part of a relationship? Right. Right. Because many times it was demonstrated by our parents or who raised us, or sometimes people just flat out told us. That's what we should what we should expect in a relationship. I'm very much with you about re- divorce being an option. I don't care about it being biblical. I don't care about none of that. The, the reason why, and this is why I said when you understand your need is because I have a need to be chosen. So every year that we continue to be together, it's you and I choosing each other because we can very well be somewhere else. So knowing for me that every year you're choosing to do life with me, that gives me security, right? And so when you learn, okay, what do I need? You now understand how to make it a priority in the relationship. And you're choosing people that value that same priority.
0: Mm Yeah. And, and, and I feel like we're pretty good with that when it comes to friendships in a way, although I think a lot of us have ended up in toxic friendships and we stay with them for a long time because we've been friends with them for so long, but there is that choice. It is kind of an active part, part of our relationship with them. Family and marriage doesn't feel so much. It feels almost like this is just what you have now. This is where you're at. This is all you'll ever get get to be. And sometimes in these moments of, you know, self-actualization or understanding who you are, there are people who will genuinely in the efforts of supporting that, you get to kind of rebuild a lot of these things. Your reconciliation is within these structures. You can have amazing changes within relationships. I totally believe that. But I just know so many people are just in these situations where uh, they don't want to be in them. The want is gone. They feel stuck in what feels like maybe a need, but really is rooted in a lot of unknown. What is? I don't know what's next for me. I don't think that anybody would marry somebody with kids. I don't know how to change anything. And I know for myself, the moment between recognizing something not working anymore and that it wasn't going to serve me and my life to the actual point of making that change was three years. And I think everyone thinks it's like this overnight decision and it's a lot of work and a lot of grief and a lot of like moving through. I don't know how to do finances. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I don't know what, how the kids will respond. I don't know. There's a lot of unknowns and the unknowns can often keep us incredibly, incredibly still. Is there a way to move through things that are unknown and find even a glimmer of confidence in that, knowing that we might never know what the right decisions are in life? People always like, how do you know you're raising good kids? I'm like, you will never know the answer to that question. You will never know if you're raising a good kid. Like You see people in the news. And then you think about their families. They've done something atrocious and you look at them and you want to point at their childhood. And sometimes it's there. And sometimes it's not like how there is, it's an impossible thing to know if you're doing a good job, just like it's impossible to know. Sometimes if you're making the right decision, I can say that I made the right decision. Now that I'm in this place, I didn't know I was making it at the time I was making it. And I think a lot of us get lost in these moments of unknown. Is there a way to find confidence through navigating a big transition?
1: No. (laughs) no. That's a great
0: answer. That's what makes the transition hard, right? Yeah. It's
1: not confidence that you're looking for. Mm. It's not knowing that I'm making the right decision because many times, like you said, you won't know until years later where you're like, man, I'm so happy you did that. Yeah, Right. In the moment, it's not that you're looking for confidence, but you have to find, I call it your North star. Right.
0: Mm. And for
1: me, I I wrote in one of my books, well, my only book, my first book, I wrote about my moment where I had to choose me and what choosing me looked like was leaving a a relationship that I was in for six years. self betrayal all the way through, like up until the very end, until one day I literally felt in my spirit that if I stayed here, I was going to die. And it wasn't a physical death, but it was going to be mental and emotional and a spiritual death. Because I had sacrificed so much of myself to be there that I had literally nothing left to give. So at this point, if I stayed, I was going to be a shell of who I am. And so in understanding that, I said, okay, I don't know who I am. I don't like who I am. I don't feel like I have any, uh, anything of value to be for anything or anyone, but... For the little piece of me that is left, I'm just going to leave off of that. It wasn't that I knew who, it blows my mind who I am today versus who I was then. So it wasn't even that I knew for sure that I was going to be this new and empowered woman. It wasn't that I knew what, what the outlook was going to look. I knew, I saw none of this. But in the moment, all I knew was that my North Star was I wanted peace. And so you have to find what is my North Star? For me, literally peace, I just wanted to be in a place waking up in my own space, not having to share my space with someone that I hated, someone I couldn't stand, someone who made me doubt myself. I didn't, my peace was just being able to be in my own skin and not feel it crawling, right? My peace was to be able to just be, to accept myself as I am without questioning, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? And so peace became my navigation. So I started making decisions that gave me peace, even though the decision was scary, so I packed up and I left, like, you know, just left in the middle. He went out of town. And by the time he came back, I was gone. I had no money. I was in graduate school. So I had no money. I knew no one in Houston. <laughs> I had no friends. I ended up going to a coworker's house. And she was like, hey, you can stay here on my couch. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> there was no exit plan, there was no strategy, but it was survival saying, I need to do this for me. So for women who who are in those places, what I would say is, what is your North Star? What is that thing that you desire more than anything? If you desire peace, if you desire happiness, if you desire genuine love, if you just want peace and quiet, what is that North Star that you need that's guiding you? Because the North Star is guiding you out. And what it's leading you to is something ridiculously mind-blowing, right? We can never anticipate what the better is going to be. But just know
0: that there's better. I am shocked that you just shared your story. And we have one huge pivotal moment that is exactly the same. Mine was that I woke up one day and I didn't want to wake up. And I was like, I have been falling on the sword for this relationship, trying to keep the family together, trying to keep the kids and all of us in one home. And I'm literally dying in front of them. I, this is going to, this, me leaving is the only path to healing. Me making this change is the only way out of this where we all make it. Otherwise I don't. And my kids will feel that for the rest of their life. So would my husband at the time. And that wake up moment of, oh my gosh, I'm trying so hard to survive in this situation that I'm forgetting this falling on the sword thing is actually me bleeding out in front of everyone. And I'm causing major harm, not only to myself within this self-betrayal, but to everybody around me. And yeah, that freaking sucked to move in with my parents. Actually, I loved it once I actually got got there and like had life. (laughs) But that piece that you talk about, I think a lot of times when we're when we simplify just that basic human need, we're talking about a lot of times we're like, oh, I just need a place to live. Like I, what about a car? What about this? Genuinely, I felt the most relief and joy in my entire life in the most chaotic moments of it, because there was that one thing. I just got to sleep and feel peace and feel comfort And it was in catastrophe. It was truly in catastrophe because I was rescuing myself from a situation. And with that, got to bring my kids along for that and, and truly rescuing all of us, I believe now, if I look back on it. But when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder how many people are having these same moments of like, truly life and death, but it is not in the physical sense. And what sliver of them is left that can get out? What is that little piece of something? What are these moments that we can take a look at recognizing those pink flags that we've dolled up and think are cute, that are actually red flags. And we're seeing them now, seeing how we've made these decisions, understanding our worth within it all, and how much we're actually operating under self-betrayal. I have Adored this conversation. I have just, I, I don't think I realized it was going to come that home for me. And that was just absolutely mind blowing. Brittany, where can people find you and your work? Obviously, you're doing incredible work. I, I was reading through some of the comments that people were leaving on your post, and you're just doing amazing things for people by doing what you were meant to be doing. And I would love for you to share so other people can kind of tune in and get into what you're doing as well
1: absolutely so everything is under my name you just have to spell it correctly right yeah. so
0: it's, it's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it
1: with an <laughs> Brittany with an I, which is great because normally I'm the first one who pops up. So yeah, BrittanyNoel.com on Instagram, Facebook, it's Brittany Noel. And yeah, I go live on Instagram every Tuesday night. So people can tune in. They ask me every question under the sun because every Tuesday night is kind of like our personal growth night. So everybody Mm. comes in and we kind of just talk about different things. And then I also on my website, I have workbooks. So especially if you're recovering from heartbreak, I have a workbook called Whole Again. So how do you go through the steps of becoming whole after leaving a relationship? And then I also have a workbook on becoming the higher version of who you are. Uh, those are also on my, on my website, or you can just book a session with me from my website as well. If you want to talk some stuff out,
0: you are so incredible. Thank you so much for what you're doing and the work you're doing. Clearly so much life experience and work experience has lent itself to some really incredible conversations like these. So thank you just so, so much. And for everyone listening, I'm going to have all that information in the show notes, including how to spell her name, which is B R I T T A I N Y. N O E L and I, (laughs) yeah, I had to remember that. And so everything's going to be in the show notes for you to check out, go check out her Instagram. You will find so much inspiration there. And thanks for joining in this very, very transformative conversation. We will see you next week.